This is the motherfucking Blood Doctor Show. On a Thursday, and I'm not going to sit here and talk too much because uh, we got Jasper Apollonia from Palace of Pistons coming on here in a bit, and I want to kind of get into it because we talked for a bit just all about Pistons and, you know, Suns, Monty Williams, all that kind of stuff because, you know, the coaching situation, Monty going from Phoenix to Detroit, a lot of good stuff there, but before we get into it, obligatory political rant, of course, as is our job, and it would seem today that we've actually struck a major victory. It seems that. It seems that. I'm not 100% sure, but it seems that we've struck a major victory today because the Voting Rights Amendment has been upheld by the Supreme Court and essentially held that the Alabama voter map, the districting map that they drew, was illegally gerrymandered based on race. And essentially, the ruling was set so that they basically said that Alabama had done everything that they could to gerrymander all of the black voters into one district to dilute their voting power, when in fact they should have been spread across multiple districts. And this ruling could have effect in Louisiana, uh, Georgia, potentially Florida, South Carolina. There's many other states where this could have long lasting impact as well, because it appears that the voter rights amendment has been restored. However, dig through legal Twitter a little bit, and I don't know what, you know, these people appear to be real lawyers. Like, you know, you look into their backgrounds, you can look up their websites, they seem to be real. So some people who appear to be very real lawyers have said that Kavanaugh's opinion, which was probably the most surprising thing, the, mo the most surprising part of this was that Roberts and Kavanaugh sided with the liberal wing of the, the, um, the bench, and they, uh, you know, re again, restored the VRA or, you know, codified as law, whatever the correct terminology is for this. But in the end of Kavanaugh's opinion, he basically laid out a framework for Louisiana to use, essentially that states that the legalese and jargon is there, but he basically quotes Clarence Thomas' dissent and says that if it is illegal to, you know, uh, elevate a voter's status based on race, uh, that that would be constitutionally illegal and you know would not be able to be extended forever he, he said that that would be something that he would consider essentially that if the argument had been made by Alabama that it was illegal to elevate a voter based on racial bias then that would be un unconstitutional essentially saying that anything that helps black people vote is illegal like, like, it's 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 just basically the the idea of this argument that he laid out is just such that like, well, if we're doing it to help people of color, that's because of their race, and therefore that's illegal. That's that's the idea of the argument that Kavanaugh sort of laid out that Alabama did not make, that he sort of laid out and said to Louisiana, you know, you could make this argument and I'll consider it. So it's tough to say. Like, is this decided? Is this over? You know, how the Louisiana case ends up before the Supreme Court, how that is decided could effectively change this as well. Other people are saying they just did this to distract from Clarence Thomas. Still other people are saying that they may, you know, yet overturn affirmative action or some other horrible act. Like, you know, they do one good thing and then one really bad thing. And, you know, they're working on their PR is basically 
what a lot of people are saying. And, you know, they're coming at it from different angles, but it seems that everyone sort of believes that in one way or another, this court is caving to public pressure, just in terms of at least listening. Now, I've always thought that Roberts was, I mean, he's a conservative, he's a douchebag, he's a GOP, whatever, but I've always felt like he had something of a soul because every now and then he would make a decision that made sense. And it seemed like maybe he was a little bit more of a dude who followed the law in terms of, even if he didn't necessarily believe in something, he would follow the law as it was. Like, Roberts just seemed to me as someone who has, like, principles. Like, he believes in what he believes in, but if the law says X and he believes that's right, he will vote that way. And again, I know he's conservative. I know he's done a lot of horrible things. But, like, he is far from the worst justice on this court. And obviously, it's interesting given, you know, he didn't even deserve his appointment when he got it because, um, you know, Bush just made him chief justice, blah, 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 whatever. It doesn't matter. But the point is, that vote didn't surprise me nearly as much as Kavanaugh's does. But when you read Kavanaugh's closing, it seems like he left the door open to overturn this. So it's, it's and again, there's so much legalese that comes up to interpretation that like, I'm not a lawyer. So like, you know, this is me piecing stuff together based on what other people said and my reading of it, which is very rudimentary. I've taken like anyone who knows me knows I'm going back to school. I'm like in a business law class. So like I've read contracts for business law. This is not like Supreme Court decisions. I don't know much. Okay. So my understanding of this is rudimentary at best for sure. And I am not trying to sit here and say I am a lawyer and I understand all this blah, blah, blah. But it would be a generous interpretation to say that Kavanaugh just slammed the door shut on this because I don't think that he did. Um, and so this is something that, I mean, we need to continue to put pressure on them because it seems that it's working. It seems that their PR matters to them. It seems that what people think of them is affecting them because they're making choices based on that. And if that means that we can apply public pressure to at least make them understand that the country doesn't want this stuff, then we need to do that. Because the simple fact of the matter is that the Voting Rights Act is like, it's like one of the most important things in the world. This could be a landmark day for the future of the United States. If we literally strike down the idea of racial gerrymandering, or racially charged gerrymandering, whatever you want to call it, that's a literal fucking game changer to the future of the United States. So much of Republican power in this country comes from the fact that they have gerrymandered the shit out of districts to the point that they just have so many that will be represented by white people. And there are these like small little districts. And then there are, they group all the large city districts together so that they'll be, you know, grouped by as few people as possible because cities tend to be more liberal. And they just do these things to dilute the voting power of people of color. It has been done since, I mean, you know, at first it just obviously, you know, Black people were three-fifths of a person. And then once they became people, they still couldn't vote. And then once they could vote, you know, you had, it's, you know, they tried to prevent that. Like, it's just always been about preventing black people from voting. All people of color, they don't want them to vote. Obviously, because they vote, you know, for leftist ideals more often than not. And just every single thing that goes on within the Republican Party is basically designed to prevent people of color from voting. Because they know, I mean, you know, white men are becoming a, a smaller percentage of this country every single day. And the people who believe what they believe is shrinking every single day. It's just what it is. Reality is progressive. That's how the world works. But when you've gerrymandered the shit out of it, this is what happens. So 
for Roberts to say, you know, this is not right. And, you know, someone on Twitter, I forget who I apologize, pointed out that he actually worked for Reagan and like did some of this. And now he's on the other side of it. So it's pretty shocking, but it seems like he learned his lesson. But with Kavanaugh, we know he's a piece of shit. So it's going to be very interesting to see how does this go? Does he flip on that opinion? Did he leave the door open to an argument that he would allow? Or did he simply point out that the argument was not made and he'll still rule against that argument and it doesn't matter? But this is an important point. We need to put the pressure. We should be emailing. We should be calling. We should be doing whatever it is we can do, tweeting, whatever. We need to let people know how we feel about this situation. Whether it's, I don't know what, how you can even contact a Supreme Court justice. I don't know necessarily what, I don't know that they have offices that you can call in the way that senators, you know, do. I don't even know if they listen, but if public pressure matters, we need to put public pressure on media agencies to write articles about this then. If you can't contact them directly, someone can write a fucking article about this. The point is that being annoying does work because if enough people are annoying enough, it shows how the world really feels. We have to have principles. We have to stand for something. Isn't that what this country was about? This country was supposed to be about real freedom and standing on your ideals, not hating every single person who disagrees with you. And we have completely lost our way. And we have a chance to change it. Because if this holds, the country will change forever. This country is mostly liberal, mostly progressive. If not for gerrymandering, we would be living in a very different place. And so I say, whatever pressure can be applied, apply it. Not just today, but every time an issue like this comes up. Because... These small little changes, just changing a few districts here and there to correctly represent, you know, the racial makeup of those districts or to not simply dilute the voting power of people of color in those districts. Those changes change the balance of power in Congress. And it changes, look at Minnesota, essentially, which has become... A, a leftist haven because Democrats have the Senate, they have the House, and they have uh, the governor. And they have just passed a slew of progressive laws. And that is what can happen as a result of this act. And I understand Brett Kavanaugh is going to want to overturn it, but he would literally have to say on the record, essentially, that black people have had nothing done to them that there is no gerrymandering, that it's all a lie, and that the Voter Rights Act is illegal because nothing should be done to help make sure that black people have voting power because that would be illegal because they are people of color. So he essentially would have to write as his Supreme Court opinion, a white nationalist opinion, that nothing has ever happened to black people that it's all a ruse and that anything designed to help black people have appropriate voting power, such as properly creating districts and not gerrymandering them, is somehow racist and therefore illegal. He would have to write a white nationalist opinion 
as his opinion. And even a dude like Brett Kavanaugh, even a dude like that, has to know that the world will look back and it will judge him. And I understand that these dudes say a lot of bullshit in public, but behind closed doors, we all know how these people feel about Trump and all this stuff. They don't want to be remembered as insurrectionists. They don't want to be remembered as horrible people who tried to destroy America. Maybe the people on the ground do. I don't know what J6 rioters think. They're crazy. But we know how politicians lie and manipulate. And the same as of Supreme Court justices. And this dude would literally have to write into his fucking opinion a white nationalist belief that nothing has ever happened to people of color, that gerrymandering simply doesn't exist, and that districts should be drawn however the hell they want, and the Voter Rights Act is bullshit. <laughs> I don't think he wants to be that dude. I think today showed that. I know he left the door open. We'll see. But you have really got to go out on a limb and write some shit that would be fucking horrible to do this. And I don't even think Brett Kavanaugh has the stones to write in a fucking Supreme Court opinion, I am a white nationalist. But that is essentially what you would be doing if you literally come out and say, people of color don't have rights, it doesn't matter what happens, I don't care if they don't have the ability to vote. I don't think he wants to be that dude, but we're going to find out. And joining me now from the Palace of Pistons podcast because of our incredible link at this point, just because <laughs> of all things coaching, is Jasper Apollonia. What's up, man? How you doing? I am doing great. Uh, it's wonderful to be on here talking about what's going on, especially with both of our franchises. Uh, pretty big changes coming in terms of the coaching. Yeah, you guys did what I wanted, which was the thing is <laughs> I, I didn't want the Suns to fire Monty. I wanted them to hire Steven Silas to do the offense. We saw what he did in Dallas. I just felt like let's take that out of Monty's hands and let him focus on coaching. And the Suns said no, and the Pistons said yes. So that's, I mean, you know, at least I feel smart in Detroit. I don't know. Um, let's start with this. It was time to fire Dwayne Casey, right? That was, this had to happen. Well, well, first off, I mean, you have to be clear. He wasn't fired. Technically, he, you know, moved into the front office. It's it's Good a technical point. thing, but it is it is the case. My, you know, Dwayne Casey wasn't fired, and the plan was never for Dwayne Casey to be fired. I think that's a, a, a pretty clear indicator of how the Pistons front office does things. And... I mean, if you're looking at the contract they just gave to Monty Williams, uh, they are an organization that treats their coaches quite well. Even going back to Stan Van Gundy, I mean, they gave him a lot of power. I mean, Tom Gorris made him GM and head coach. It's basically, I believe, the only other two people that had done that were um, were, were obviously uh, Popovich and... It really might have just been him and Popovich. I think there was one other person I'm forgetting. But yeah, ultimately, to answer your question, it was time for, for Dwayne Casey to move on. And the Pistons are an organization that treats their coaches very well under Tom Gorris. You've seen guys get a lot of leeway. Dwayne Casey certainly did. But look, he was the second longest tenured head coach in Pistons history. Chuck Daly is the only guy ahead of him. That's crazy. You know? I did I, not realize that. That is crazy. Yeah, the second longest. And, you know, I mean, the fact of the matter is when you win 60 games over your last three seasons, 
it's hard to justify keeping a coach like that around. And you can make all the caveats you want about a young roster, you know, not necessarily having the the space, having to rebuild. And that's all valid, but 60 games in three years. And when they did have a decent team with Blake Griffin, they didn't win a single playoff game. They got swept by the Bucs. So, yeah, I think ultimately it was time to move on. And more so than that, it was time to move forward. It, it's time for the Pistons to start getting really serious about where they're going. And so you you view the Monty Williams contract then, like specifically the contract itself, because it's the largest contract in the history of coaching, at least as far, or NBA coaching, at least as far as yeah. we know. That's what's been reported. I, you know, by, by a margin, by a wide margin. Yeah. So to you, that represents Tom Gore's, like, commitment to the team like you don't obviously it's his money who it doesn't affect the cap who gives a shit but i just mean you view that as an extension of he treats his coach as well we're gonna we're gonna do that here yet again like that's how you view that i'm just curious because that yeah obviously there was some shock to how big it was Abs- absolutely and that's the thing with tom gorris you can say what you will about the guy but he's absolutely committed to winning he has not shied away from in the past talking about i will go way over the cap to build a winner that's why they pulled off the Blake Griffin trade. That was not necessarily a Stan Van Gundy thing. That was a Tom Gorris thing. He saw an opening for an all-NBA player, and he took it. And again, you see why he invested all that time and resources in Stan Van Gundy, why he gave Dwayne Casey as much time as he did, and why Monty Williams now has this contract. I mean, we're talking potentially eight years, $100 million. And I think the key here is not just that they gave him the contract, but they had reached out beforehand. He had turned them down. I think the expectation around the league was he was going to take a year off from coaching and see what happened. Um, And Tom Gorris, after seeing the other guys that Troy Weaver put in front of him, said, nah, you know what? Fuck that. (laughs) I I want Monty Williams. I know he said no, but that's all Monty Williams can do is keep saying no and Tom Gorris, obviously, money was not an issue. I mean, we're talking $13 million a year. You know, Greg Popovich is the number one paid head coach in the league coming into this year at $11.5 million. So it's not just a small raise. Steve Kerr's making $9.5 million, I believe. So it's, it's not just like, oh, you're getting a little bit more. No, they're completely resetting the market here. Like, that is a huge, huge deal. When a guy like Steve Kerr with four rings has nine and a half million and you're investing that much into Monty Williams, who's a, a really, really good head coach, I think what it says more is about Tom Gorris than it even does about Monty Williams. I think if he saw another guy other than Monty who was available and fit what he wanted, I 100% think Tom Gorris would have invested that kind of money in that coach as well. Yeah, so he 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 was spending money to get his guy. In other words, like regardless of who that was, and that yep. and honestly, that's what we all want from our owners, right? Like we want or the, our our managing partners. I keep using that damn word, um, but uh, that's what we all want from them is to you know spend to bring in the best people or whatever. And I like I I really wasn't. I was like happy for Monty. Like that was what I felt because I was like good. Like I'm glad that someone saw what he did in Phoenix and didn't reduce it to two games, which were horrible but didn't reduce every single thing that he did to those two losses because that that's a fool's errand to sit there and say, these two basketball games were the only thing that he did, especially if, because the Pistons are sort of in that A to B where the Suns were a few years ago, where it's like, I'm always saying, you know, it's like you have an A to B coach and a B to C coach where C is championship, right? 
And Monty has proven that he is a really good A to B coach. And I wonder if the whole team is so young. If he grows, learns from his mistakes, if he kind of grows with the team, I think he can potentially become that coach too. Like I didn't want the Suns to fire him. I'm not like a hundred percent sold on Vogel. So I envy you in some ways because I'm going to miss Monty. There's some things about him that drove me crazy. Don't get me wrong, but um, I'm definitely interested to see like how this goes and what, I mean, do you, I, I mean, I don't know how much Suns you really watch, but I'm just interested to see like what the offense looks like. Because again, like with Steven Silas, like we've seen, I'm just going to throw the shit out with the Rockets. Cause I just don't, yeah. I just yeah, don't. Same, same. hundred percent the same. It's not no. the team he was hired to coach. I, I just, it was, I mean, literally, literally he was not calling plays towards the end of the year, not because like he's a terrible head coach, but because the front office didn't want him calling play. like that, that whole situation was a total disaster. And look, the fact of the matter is the guy has a 20 year track record behind him as an excellent, well-respected assistant coach. It didn't work out, but that doesn't mean anything. Look, I'll, I'll say from like a Detroit perspective, I think somebody like not even a Detroit perspective. Let's go for another guy, Wade Phillips. Like, Wade Phillips, when you think of the best defensive coordinators in the history of football, Wade Phillips has to be on that top 10 list. Like, there's no question about it. That guy is a genius. Was he meant to be the head coach of the Cowboys or any other organization for that matter? No. Rod Marinelli, same thing. 0-16 Lions, but one of the best damn defensive line coaches in in the nfl for a very long time so uh, when i look at the steven silas thing no i'm 100 percent with you i loved that hiring uh I, I thought it was a great thing and like you said the pistons are a really young team and silas is not you know he's not the kid he was when he was under his dad in charlotte but he still is a relatively young guy that's why he was brought on to the head coach at in houston because he's a young guy and they thought he could connect to those players. It didn't work out. But I think that when you have a locker room with, and I'm not taking a shot at anybody, but perhaps maybe some more mature young players than there are in Houston. Um, I think of Kate Cunningham, Jaden Ivey. Those are just, those are great young men. You know, every, everything you see from them, they seem like they have those leadership qualities uh, high character and i'm not saying anybody in houston is low character but like these are dudes you can trust in your locker room at, for all indications so for me i i think it was great and again it just goes back to like tom gore's investing in the team even though he made that huge investment in monty williams i am sure steven silas is not coming with a cheap price tag either like yeah i mean those are yeah you're paying like you know damn near you're paying what the Charlotte Hornets pay a, a head coach at that at that price, right? Because they pay like the bottom of the league. Michael Jordan, notoriously cheap. Funniest thing in the world to me. But um, the, the, uh, I, I I hesitate. I wonder what Scottie Pippen owning a, a team would look like. I mean, that man's name nickname literally was No Tippin Pippen in, in Chicago, <laughs> notoriously in Chicago restaurants. So like, yeah, he'd be like, yeah, I, I don't know, pressing his nose up against the glass. He's like, yeah, I, I could pay you in. Uh, dates with my wife i don't know i can't pay you in money but i can pay you in larsa pippen dates we're we're taking the bus to miami this week guys yeah, that's right you know how the, the pistons famously were the first team to ever charter a, a private jet for their team uh scotty pippen would be the first to take it away so exactly. we're going back the other direction listen greyhound offered us a non-stop 
There's a bathroom in the back. Bring some <laughs> snacks. We're making this we're, happen. We're stopping at Burger King halfway down. Yeah, it's gonna be a it's gonna be a wild ride. I think this was the the plot to that one uh, the the Will Ferrell uh, movie. Uh, <laughs> Kicking and screaming or what? No, the oh best, no, semi pro, semi pro. Another another Michigan connection. So I have it all, to it all I have to together. smoke so much weed that I have one part of every episode <laughs> where I like forget what I'm talking about. That's um, fine. All of those things together, I mean, this has got to be probably going to be the like the most like you've got to be where I was a few years ago. We're just even being competent where it's like you don't go into every single game expecting you're going to lose. That's got to mean a lot. Right. Because like when the Suns came out of the bubble, I was like, oh, my God, finally, this team isn't garbage. That meant a lot to me. Yeah. Oh, oh God. And I mean, the Pistons, again, this team has not won a playoff game since 2008 been 15 going on 16 years so it, it's been a real it's it's and we're ta- not talking about minnesota sacramento like this is this is one of the best teams in the history of the league by by all means one of the top third teams in, is that in since, league history is that since chauncey yeah uh yeah wow. since they since they traded uh for Allen iverson yeah because yeah, i was living in denver when that yep. trade happened and I was just like, wow, what, why? Yeah, why? And, and again, why? It's, it's no coincidence that Denver's one Western Conference finals uh, under Carmelo came the year that they traded for Chauncey Billups. That guy was, was, ab- he was, was beast. amazing. He was Absolute amazing. beast. Put him in the Hall of Fame. Anyway, uh, but bringing it back to what you said even earlier, yes, competency. That's exactly what you want. And you said it with Monty Williams being that like A to B head coach. I think that was a really crucial thing and something I've been hard on Troy Weaver about throughout this entire coaching process is like, that's the guy you're going to be tied to. And there was a, there was, I'm telling you, it was not just smoke. There was fire. He really was into Kevin Ali as the the guy, like it was Charles Lee and Kevin Ali. And it was those two dudes and all indications said Ali was the guy for him. Obviously, Tom Gorris didn't feel that way, but I thought that it was very worrisome that Troy Weaver going into his fourth year as the GM was going after somebody so unproven uh, with zero track record, a guy who's not even a head coach right now. Like Kevin Ollie's not a coach. He's, he's not a head coach. He hasn't been a head coach in a while, and he was only a head coach at the college level for what, four seasons, five seasons. So I think it was five. So it's right, not like he right. has this long track record of success. To me, it was very worrisome that that Weaver was willing to hitch his wagon because it's like, brother, you know, if like this, this guy doesn't work out, you're not getting another one. Like you're done. If you get right. two years of Kevin Ollie and it doesn't work, Tom Gorris, it can't give you, you, you don't get seven years to rebuild the, t- the team from the ground up. I'm sorry. <laughs> the NBA right. moves way too fast. And despite what some Pistons fans think when they talk about patience, like, brother it doesn't take six seven years to rebuild if you're a good well-run organization take you four to five sometimes there's setbacks of course but like it it doesn't take that long you don't get three head coaches it doesn't go like that so i thought monty williams if we're talking about bringing competency to the organization i think it shows a big step forward and same with the steven silas hire like i think it shows that you're really serious uh, about getting better next year and not just competing for a play-in spot, but like competing for more moving forward. You're talking about a guy that's been to the finals. You're talking about guys that have, you know, played, you know, that have been in this league for a really, really long time and they know what winning looks like. 
I think that the expectation has to be you're moving forward in this rebuilding process. Does he, um, do you think, I mean, I don't, I don't know how to phrase this. Cause I, I mean, I think that the front office structure is pretty, is pretty well defined, but do you think Monty will have some sort of say in front? I mean, they threw so much money at him. Surely they're going to listen to him when it comes to front office stuff. Like I'm sure he's not making choices, but it seems like he's going to have some sway. Yeah. I mean, look, there's been talk about the Pistons moving down in the draft. Um, you know, they have the fifth pick. It's a weird place to be. They really needed a top three pick this year. It, Five was bad. Five was really bad for the Pistons. It really was. Um, but they still have several intriguing prospects. Look, one of the Thompson twins, Jarris Walker, Cam Whitmore, Taylor Hendrick, like those, at least four of those five guys are going to be available. And that, to me, shows that you have an opportunity, even if you move down in the draft, still to draft one of them. I've seen six and 11 thrown around by Orlando. I don't know. I, I don't have the type of sources where I would be able to confirm anything like that, but you know, move down a spot, get an extra pick. I think that's good. That's obviously not going to be up to Monty Williams. That's going to be up to Troy Weaver and, and Tom Gorris. But of course I expect that Monty Williams is going to be involved in every single part of the process moving forward. You don't commit that kind of money to a guy and just say, Hey, drop some plays. Like, that's that's a guy you're bringing in to be a big part of your organization and if he hits those incentives eight years like if he's your head coach for eight years that is a guy who is going to be a massive part of your organization in, in the future like that's, that's you know that if he hits those and why would you pay him that money if you don't think he's going to I think you have to say, like, this is a guy that's going to be very much involved. Same way Dwayne Casey was. Like, there's a reason Dwayne Casey's moving to the front office. I'm sure he was involved in it beforehand, and I'm sure that will continue now. That's a good point. Um, it's interesting that you bring up moving down in the draft because mm. one of the other things, specifically on a basketball level, I was curious about, like, how you feel about Ivy and Cade long-term. And I didn't know if – not that this is something that I, I'm just curious. I didn't know if, yeah. like – people around the Pistons bandy about the idea of, well, we could move one of these guys with our pick and go up because there's, you know, outside of Wemby, you know, two and three are available, right? I think it's possible that you can get either one of those. I'm not saying that, like, you can't get Wemby. I don't think there's any chance you're getting number one, but I think, you know, two and three you could get. And I don't know that anyone would, again, I don't know that that's something that I, I just, it's a thought that comes into my mind because you mentioned trading down. I don't know if things come up or is it just like, no, no, Kate and Jade and Ivy fit perfectly. We're not moving either of those dudes. Like, what is your thought process on that? I, I think Kate is pretty much untouchable at this point for, for the Pistons, as, as far as the Pistons are concerned. Like, they're not moving that guy. There is a reason they took him number one overall. Um, there's a lot of belief. And I, not even that, like, I think Pistons fans would be irate um, if you moved him for anything less than an absolute all-NBA type player. To be clear, I definitely meant more moving Ivy, just to be clear. I'm yeah, not, of course. Just, no, 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 no. Just, just to be clear, so I don't come off like I don't even watch the Pistons. Just want to be clear on that. Yeah, one. for sure. No, absolutely. And like, yeah, absolutely. Like, you have heard among the fan base even rumblings about, well, I might be willing to move Ivy. I think the thing goes, like, do you really think Scoot Henderson is so good of a prospect that he's worth a guy in Jaden Ivy who I think, to me – proved a lot last season a, a lot of people didn't watch the pistons and you know what i can't 
Can't fucking blame them. They sucked. It it was hard for me to watch them a lot of the times, you know? And towards the end of the season, you just start going, you know what? I I can't watch this one. <laughs> you know, there's certain games you just have to go, I can't do it today, fellas. I'm sorry. Um, I, don't, I don't need a reason to drink. I don't need another reason to drink. I'm, yeah, I'm exactly. Exactly. I'm trying to stay hydrated here, all right? Um, but I think that Jade and Ivy showed more than enough to where you say... I think I think Scoot Henderson's an awesome prospect. Don't get me wrong. And if the Pistons had the number two pick, I would have taken Scoot Henderson, no questions asked, and said, you know what? Let's see what we can do with these three guys. I maybe Cade can play the three. Maybe he can't. Maybe you do have to move one of them. That's fine. But I believe in that talent um, for Scoot. Ultimately, though, is Scoot Henderson so good of a talent that he's worth what I know is going to be a really good player in Jaden Ivey? And what I could get with number five. And when you look at a, the Pistons roster, they still lack so much depth in so many crucial areas. I just don't think you're in the place where you can be moving one of your very few established future, you know, pieces of the team. Plus a top five pick. I don't think you're in a place where you can be consolidating right now in two years. Yeah, absolutely. Or even if they were, you know, if this was two years ago and they had gotten the third pick and they were moving up to select Cade and you move, you know, a couple picks there, I would have done that. Absolutely. I would have moved picks to move up to number one. But I think when you invest that money in Monty Williams, what you're saying is like, we're getting better now. And I think the way you have to do that is not by moving off of picks moving off of young players that look like stars to, you know, push the the, the, uh, with the timeline back. For me, that doesn't quite work. And I think also there is something to be said, like, you know, Cade's contract is going to be up in two years. And you have to start thinking about the extension next year. Not in two years, next year. So I think also, like, when you have that money kind of going in a way that it does where you pay Cade one year – then you can pay Ivy the next year. I think that works out a little bit better than when you're talking about one guy coming off of his rookie contract. And then you have Scoot, who in two years, and it's like, well, okay, if we invest that money in Cade, then we also have to invest in free agents. And then Scoot comes up, and I think your cap can get, I think it get really messy really quick. So right. for me, I'm not interested. Look, Jaden Ivy coming out of college, the question was, can he play, you know, can he can he pass at a high enough level? to play point and shooting guard and can he shoot well enough to play point and shooting guard and i think for me he answered those questions you look at the season long stats yeah he was 34 percent from three 5.2 assists per game they're decent but not incredible numbers but you look at december onwards through the end of the season 36.3 percent on his threes on 5.3 attempts per game 6.4 assists per game and for the season on the whole, shot over 30%, 37% on his catch-and-shoot threes. So for me, I look at something like that. I think it's real. I like his form. I like the way he approaches passing. I like the way he approaches shooting. Um, you know, the pull-up game could still use a little bit of work, but it's there. Like, I see it coming along. So when I see that two-man pairing of Cade and Ivy, I just go, I'm not looking to mess this up, bring somebody else in. If Scoot was there at two, yes. If he's not, just stick with these guys. Take who you can at five. Or, again, if you can move back to six or even seven and pick up some extra picks, I think that's worth it. But I don't 
I don't want to move Cade or Ivy. Again, unless it's for like an all NBA type player and you say, fuck it, we're going all in. We're, we're trading for an all NBA player. We're investing a lot of money in a free agent and we're making a trade. But that seems premature to me. So, yeah, I mean, the, and I, I think you're right. I, I just asked because they're, you know, you read some people. I'm not like a draft guy, right? Like, I, I will freely acknowledge, like, I watch enough college basketball to get by. I enjoy the tournament and everything, but I'm not like a, a super, I watch every game and know everything. So I, I read a lot of what other people say to get a baseline. And just some of the things I've read about, you know, Scoot are just, I I I just get a little bit of like, oh, man, I don't know. That dude might be good. But it is, it's definitely a question, but it's. But there's also, he's not perfect. Look, the fact of the matter is, like, he's smaller than, like, Jaden Ivey's 6'5". Scoot Henderson's, like, 6'2", 6'3". A fair point. A fair point. You know? That really it, does matter. How's his off-ball play? Like, for me, I see Cade and Ivy as, like, this perfect combination together. You can have Ivy just bring the ball up at breakneck pace, and then if you have Cade starting off the ball, not necessarily bringing it up, you can offset his lack of explosive athleticism by having him catch the ball when the defense is already having to adjust, when you've already forced a switch, when you've already have, you know, pick and roll action initiated, that I think opens up a lot more possibilities for his drive and kick game. Uh, and that's especially... the stuff that Steven Silas brings is those little tweaks where, you know, in, in the, the mid transition, I'm running a play that or you know, running a set piece that has this, that, or the other. And, you know, Monty did when the Suns went to the finals. He had some really good, you know, two and three level pick and roll stuff that was like, God damn. And the chemistry just really kind of broke down after that loss. So that's one thing I think when I think of Monty Williams and Steven Silas bringing that to Cade and Javen Ivey, that's why I, I'm like excited to watch Pistons basketball this year because I think this team might legitimately be like fun as fuck to watch. And that's yeah. you know, oh, one of the reasons I really wanted to talk about it because I was like, man, this team's going to be fun. They should be with the way that Silas and, and Monty, especially like they way the way they like to run offense. I, that is like the number one thing, man, because Dwayne Casey, all love to him, but like the guy plays a boring ass basketball and it's frustrating. Like it's just not free flowing. It's not quick. Everything takes forever. And like that to me, even if the defense still isn't very good, and that is the number one thing where they really have to improve. Like, their defense last year was the second worst unit in the league. They were atrocious. They were just absolutely horrible. So that is a big thing they're going to have to focus on this offseason as well. I think having Cade and an extra year of Jaden Ivey, I think that's going to help a lot on the perimeter. That's where they were really getting killed. That and Boyan Bogdanovich playing the four. You know, there's, we and we can talk about this, like, they have a lot of cap space this offseason. Um, I, I also think they're definitely in the market to make a trade for maybe a more legit power forward. They mm. also, you know, or or I, for me, I've been a big advocate. If they can get Tobias Harris, who is on an expiring deal, I like um, that. there's there's a lot of incentive for Philly to move on from him this offseason. That's a good perhaps, one. You know, and I, I think if you could do something like maybe you move back, a, 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 you know, a spot in the draft, Maybe then if you get six and 11, maybe then you trade 11 to get a couple extra. You get like, I, I don't have all the guys in front of me, but like if you can move back for a couple like picks in the mid twenties or something, maybe then you use that to incentivize Philly to make a trade. You get your guy at six, you move to Vice Harris. You can also get off of like Marvin Bagley's contract, 
You don't have to give up one of your young players. You get to get one of the guys that you're targeting around that fifth pick. And you get Tobias Harris. I, I think for me, that seems like a real win-win. Um, that, that to me is something that could work. And you don't have to give up Boyan Bogdanovich in that case. Now, <laughs> if you, you know, if you do make a trade for Philly and you trade Boyan, Marvin Bagley, and maybe, maybe 31, I, maybe you don't even need to move a pick. I don't know. I, I really don't know how Philly would approach it. But like, if you could do something like that and get somebody like Tobias Harris, who's more defensively sound and still gives you really good shooting, he's not Boyan Bogdanovich, but like, he's still a very good three point shooter especially on catch and shoots and he yeah. can drive. So like he can finish at the rim. I, I think for me, you do that. You draft somebody like Jairus Walker, all of a sudden you get Kate Cunningham back. Like you're now talking about a team with some real size, both on the perimeter and the interior as point. opposed to last year. And with some really good athleticism, smart players, you still got veterans. I think that could work really well. That's a, that's a really good point. And the other thing, cause I was going to mention that this team probably needs like a veteran presence. I know they have Bogdanovich, but still, like, you need another one, you know, just to yes. get to that next level. The Suns did. I, I just, I, I hate to, I, it's weird to keep bringing up the Suns, but when you import the coach that oversaw that rebuild, I'm like, hey, there's probably going to be some stuff that's similar. That's and, why I'm here. It's yeah, why I'm here. <laughs> exactly. And so <laughs> that's I why think, I'm here. I think, uh, I do think, yeah, I, the Tobias Harris thing makes a lot of sense. I mean, number one, he's got familiarity with Detroit. I know it's a different coach and everything, but still, Having played there before, you know, the city and that kind of stuff, I do think that stuff helps. Um, I think you're right that, I mean, we all know how desperate Daryl Morey gets when he's looking to, like, make something happen. So you, I think you're correct that you could probably get Tobias Harris for not, not much. I think that around the league, that contract, even as an expiring, is viewed as something you have to dump, which is, as, Tobias Harris is a good player. We just, yeah. it's one of those things. Tobias Harris, everyone was like, oh my God, this guy is so good. And then the second he got the contract, everyone was like, oh my God, that guy's so terrible. He's overrated. He's overpaid. It's, you're damned if you do. It's, that's damned. how it works, man. You're either yeah. underpaid or overpaid in the league. There's, <laughs> there's, there's no, only two only, ways about it. Yeah, only LeBron is, is appropriately paid. Um, Seriously. Um, and, well, he, he's underpaid, actually. So there you go. Um, uh, maybe not anymore. The, I'm, I'm with you. I, so for you, this draft then, um, before we talk about some of the other dudes on the team, like you, you mentioned, yeah. you don't have like a, like you're, there's no one that you're like, oh my God, I've got to have this guy at five. There's a range of dudes. So you're, you're open to moving back. There's nobody that, because you still, you, your guard spots are filled basically, right? Are you, are you set at center? Do you feel like Beef Stew yeah. is the guy or is that? No, it's, it's Jalen Duran. It's, it's all about Jalen Duran. It is Jalen Duran. Okay. It's, cool. it's all about Jalen Duran. And look, I, you know, I like Stu. I want him to be a good player. I don't know where he is. Look, there's a lot of people who think that he's the power forward of the future. I'm not sold. Hmm. And that's why for me, I think if you do move back a pick, even two, I think you still have a really good chance to get somebody like Jairus Walker or Taylor Hendricks, who absolutely fit the mold for what you want from a modern NBA four in very different ways. But like hmm. they both still fit that. And like I said, if you can get a, a player in, trades and free agency pistons have 30 million dollars in free cap space this offseason yeah do i necessarily want to spend it all on cam johnson and jeremy grant <laughs> no not necessarily but that is an option if you can't get somebody like tobias harris i'm cool with oh, with cam johnson cam would, johnson would fit there though man just i'd ooh. love to i can't so the thing for me my ideal offseason is you could somehow get tobias harris from the sixers you can draft you know one of 
the Thompsons, Jairus Walker, Cam Whitmore, um, and, and Taylor Hendricks, whoever it may be there, whoever you like the most, and you also get Cam Johnson in free agency, I think you're looking at a really nice roster there, man. Like, I, you know, Duran, Harris, Johnson, Ivy, Cunningham, sounds pretty good to me, especially if you're bringing off the bench, like Stewart, Duran, um, you know, who knows? Maybe maybe Chris Paul wants to go play a little backup point guard for Monty. <laughs> yeah. I'm just saying at this point, I, he's not I don't think he's a starter anymore. You know, I, I, I don't know what the hell is going to happen. But if he wants to play 23, program. 24 minutes and play next to like Cam Whitmore, I, do I mean, that works. That freaking works for me all day, every day. So the minute yeah. the sun's the minute the sun's hired Vogel, I was just like, that is it, Chris Paul is not Vogel's point guard. Like it's no. just he has never, ever in any of his time had a dude like that. And it just, I was just like, mm. yeah, <laughs> um, that, yeah, that, and and then the whole because it came out that they wait, and then the Suns came back and they're like, well, we're we're working on it. We're trying, and they're trying to save that whole fucking thing's a disaster. I, I don't even know what to say about that. Oh, uh, I can't wait for the Ishbia experience. I'm sorry. It's oh. I'm just letting you know. That, you know, he's a Michigan man, oh. a Michigan State man, I should say. He's yeah, yeah, please. Yeah, that. put. Yeah, don't put that on UM. Don't, don't. I, yeah, I, I'm I not. I'm not you. saying anything. I'm just saying, when that tenure, when that, uh, yeah, when that ends, it's not going to end well. I'm just telling you that. No, okay? it's it's been horrible. It's not I going mean, to end well. <laughs> every decision that he has made has been horrible. It has been rash. It has been he. It's terrible. I don't. I'm not happy, and I don't yeah. understand any of the thought process behind it. And if you hire Frank Vogel, and then turn around and trade DeAndre Ayton, what the fucking hell are you even doing? Why do you hire a person whose one thing that he's really good at is using large big men to build good defenses, and then being like, we're just going to trade this 25 year old piece of clay who still hasn't figured it out yet, unless you get something of of real value back which i don't even know where his value is in the league i just i hate everything that's going on especially because i think that motherfucker's negotiating the trades which means oh 100 percent. yeah when your owner is negotiating no, he's, trades, he's you, lose. you lose smartest guy in the room Matt. Matt oh, yeah dude I smartest know. guy in the room and that's the thing it's like the team had to be sold and you love it to be sold to a dude with deep pockets but i wanted so badly for it to be bob Iger because he would have bought it and then and been like, I don't know what the hell I'm doing. James yep. Jones, you handled that. Job. That's yep. what I wanted, and here we are. Um, I, I'm with you. So, so Jalen Dern's your guy. Ivy and Cunningham. Everyone else, the three and the four, the future of the three and the four is up for up for grabs in your mind. Like obviously, yeah. again, you know, you got Bogdanovich. If you bring in Harris, you know, like those are stopgap measures or whatever. Yep. But you're pretty set with like three of those positions. So you're kind of targeting. Are you when you when it comes to draft philosophy? I'm just curious. Are you more of a like lottery pick or, or not a lot like a lottery ticket guy, or more like a, this dude played three years of solid ball at Villanova? Blah, blah. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. I guess, I, I, do you like the Sadiq Bay or do you like the, you know what I'm saying? Like, what what I'm, what I'm with you. I mean, look, there's a reason why guys like Jalen Brunson fall to the second round, even though they're absolute ballers. It's most people are going to take that high upside athletic guy. I think that is where the Pistons still are. And that's why I've grown on Jairus Walker. And I think also if you bring in Harris, like that just makes even more sense because again, his contract's expiring. You'll have Walker there waiting in the wings to take over the starting power forward position 
in 2024. Um, so for me, that makes a lot of sense from like a team building perspective. You know, I, I always like to hit the mesh of like fit. Like, does this make sense for my team moving forward? Can I build around this? And highest upside available. If I can, where those two things meet, that's what I want. Like, do I think Jarris Walker has higher upside than Eamon Thompson? No. Do I think he has high enough upside and also fits into the Pistons where they're at, where they're going, what they need? Yes. And gotcha. that's why I'd be willing. You know what I mean? It it It's both. You need to have the talent, but you also need to have the fit. And, and I know that's kind of, you know, <laughs> kind of cheating. I'm not really answering it. But I think that that is the number one thing. You have to go, who are the guys I think are most talented? And then think, like, where do they fit into my team? And that, and I, I do think that that's becoming, I think that there was a time in the NBA when the answer was only best player available. And I think that that was the only way that you could think. But I do think that as we get more and more talent and dudes develop at such a rate and, you know, like there's so much more talent in the league now than there used to be. I do think that fit matters more when you're drafting now than it used to, because like, it also depends on like, okay, for example, one of the reasons that Jaden Ivey got so much time to develop that last season was because unfortunately, Cade Cunningham gets injured and that sucks, but it also gets Ivy so many minutes, just like controlling the ball. It takes his game to a new level. So yep. that you get to see something you may not have otherwise seen. And so like, you know, situation fit, all those things. Like sometimes dudes are just busts. Sometimes they're just stars and there's not a damn thing that you can do about it. But like, I don't believe for a second that every single player that the Suns drafted from like 2010 to 2018, say for Booker was a garbage player. I think that our player development was absolute trash. And some of those dudes who had a chance were not given one by an organization that didn't treat them well. And yeah. so I, I do think that, you know, does this dude get what we're trying to do? Does this dude have the attitude that we're looking for? Those sorts of things really do matter more than they used to. Um, I'll, I'll say this. I think skill matters. When I'm talking about like talent, I am, I am, it's also what you're prioritizing, right? Like I think playmaking, dribbling, shooting, those things matter more than athleticism mm. all day, every day. And like, and you because no for the exact reason you said it the talent level in the nba right now is so high everybody's a good athlete mm. like there's there's no there's very few starting guards out there who are not great athletes there's there's just all the players are good athletes so right what is the what's the difference now i think it's skill and more recently you've seen it shooting take precedence i think shooting is very important but I think now you're starting to see really where the, the market and efficiency is, is in playmaking, ball handling. I think that you need those guys on your team. And so I think somebody like Jairus Rocker really fits the mold because you're starting to get to a point where like pretty much everybody can shoot. Everybody's a good athlete. What's the difference? What's the difference between your good shooting athletes and my good shooting athletes? I think it comes down to like, what can they create? What kind of shots can they create? How good of defenders are they? So that's why, for me, I'm very high on Jairus Walker for the Pistons. That makes a lot of sense. So um, it's obviously, you know, the draft still has to happen. Free agency still has to happen. There's so much change that can occur. Um, so, like, given that that can happen, it's hard to say, like, you know, what do you project from the team this season, obviously, just because the roster could look so completely different. But what would you 
consider like a successful like at, at the at a year from today what would you consider successful regardless of you know what the specifics specific moves are like what do you hope to achieve this season like as a fan like like I like I know that when Monty was hired I expected concrete immediate results and and they existed and I'm just curious if you're there or if you're more like we're still in that kind of this year's a turnover year and we'll see I'm just curious like where your head's at and you're and you're pretty practical so i i know your head's not in the clouds so i'm just curious i i try to be i mean i did come on this podcast a couple years ago and say the pistons were gonna finish between 32 and 38 wins and they finished with 23 so <laughs> i was really trying and, not to mention that but you know, it's you all right I, I'm, I'm more than happy to you know what i mean hey as long as it's not the police i'm willing to snitch on myself <laughs> um yeah i mean for me like ah, it's really hard to say because Look, this is a front office that has said since day one that this was the year they were targeting to, like, start competing. And I have to take them on that on their word. The fact of the matter is, I can't really say what I expect from them or, or, or what I'm looking for until this offseason concludes. The fact of the matter is, there's just so many things up in the air. And look, I've said this since last year, this is a crucial offseason for Troy Weaver he's already nailed the first part of it and and that big part of that is because he had an owner that was willing to pay up but like he got the head coach that he needed okay that's one but like he also needs to nail this draft pick he needs to draft nail free agency and he needs to make some trades like that's just the absolute fact of the matter so until I see those I don't feel confident in saying where like the Pistons are going to be. Like I said, if they can manage to trade for Tobias Harris and sign Cam Johnson and get like Jairus Walker and get Chris Paul to be their backup point guard, I'm looking at this team and I'm saying, yo, you, you better be looking at mid thirties at least like we better be talking 35 plus wins here. There's in my opinion, you know, young roster or not like, there has to be expectations. That's a pretty big investment, and you've got some decent players there. If you really think Kate Cunningham and Jaden Ivey are are what you think they are, then they got to step up a little bit. I'm not saying they got to be the four seed. I'm saying you have to be looking, you know, maybe not making the play in, but competing for it at the very least. Even if they, you know, if they don't make those trades, if they don't nail their signings. I don't have super high hopes. Like I still think it's a very limited roster in many, many ways, especially defensively. They have some real issues defensively and just bringing in Kate Cunningham and like Jairus Walker, that ain't going to solve it. Even if you go out and you sign like Jeremy Grant, I I don't even think that one player is not going to make the difference in my opinion. So do you you think that, would you prioritize, let me put it this way. Let's say that a yeah. year from today, you found a fourth player, regardless of wins and losses, but let's say that you found a fourth player that you consider part of your long-term core, whether they be a three or four or whatever. But a year from today, you're like, I've got four guys. Would you consider that like a successful season, regardless of what happens on the court? If you if you've basically identified your core four sort of thing, because I think sometimes in these early years, it's like, yeah, did we win 25 or 28 or 32? It's kind of like, whatever. It's like, we identified this dude. Yeah. So I guess that's more of my question is like, do you think that you, you mentioned how important it was to hit this free agency in this draft? Do you think that 
that like a year from today, you need to have identified another dude. Otherwise it may be time to move on from Troy Weaver. I think it needs to be more than that. Like you need to have the depth in place. Mm -hmm. And that to me is the thing that has really not come along very well. Like the Pistons, they've had some decent players. Like, don't get me wrong. Like Alec Burks, really useful. Um, You know, shoot, Derrick Rose was very useful for Detroit as well in 2020 uh, before they traded him. So, like, I think for me, you have to really not just show that, like, yeah, I'm able to acquire guys with top five picks. So what? Like, I'm sorry. There's enough talent in these drafts that, like, at least three of the top five picks are going to pan out to be all-star or borderline all-star players unless you're a real dum-dum you're you're gonna hit on most of those picks Jalen Duran, I'll give him all the credit in the world that was the 13th pick he made a good trade I will give him a lot of credit for that but like no I no I I don't think that if you have three top five picks and you go wow we got three good players with our three top five picks what a success I'm like what no that's the expectation it's what do you do with those other picks? And like the fact of the matter is Killian Hayes has not, I, I don't, I don't want to say anything about Killian Hayes. Like I still have some sort of hopes that he could be a good backup point guard, but like he is what he is at this point. That wasn't a hit. Beef stew remains to be seen. Sadiq Bay got offloaded for James freaking Wiseman. Honestly, that, I'd rather. About, what's up with it? Yeah, like this is, and I know that we all make jokes about Troy Weaver and centers, but seriously, it's like from an outsider's perspective, it's like it's you know, and it's you know, again, Beef Stew, Wiseman, the you mentioned Bagley, uh, Bagley Marvin Bagley, and then and you're like, no, Duran is the guy. It's like, so what the hell are we doing? I don't. This is something I have not understood. Like, I understand we value the big man, okay, but like, there's also a limit. Well, from my perspective, Jalen Duran is the guy, but like, For sure. I don't know if. Troy Weaver feels the same way. Okay. Like that, and that's why I kind of thought I like I see a lot of people who like I see a lot of good things about Jalen Duran, but I had never seen like I not that it surprises me to hear you say that, but like that's just not a person that I have heard the Pistons say, This is our dude going forward. So it's just like one of those things like that's he's why definitely I, there. Like I I he's definitely in that discussion. Mm-hmm. I, I there's no Jalen Duran's not going anywhere. I don't, I really don't think he is. He has too much upside and I I just don't think he's shown enough to justify getting rid of him. You know what I mean? Like, I just don't think his trade value would be equivalent to what his upside is anything close to that. It just doesn't make sense to get rid of that guy at this point, but like, shoot, James Wiseman is going to be making $12 million next year. If they pick up his option, that's not nothing like, Marvin Bagley's making $13 million. That's not nothing. That's $25 and, million combined. That's, that's, yeah, that's... and people can, and look, and people can say like, oh, well, you know, they're backups and they're being paid backup money, but they're not good backups. And <laughs> that's the key. <laughs> like you can, you can say, oh, Marvin Bagley's, that's not an re- egregious contract. Yeah, but he stinks. Like the guy is, he's not a good basketball player and he can't stay healthy for the life of him. He doesn't fit into this roster, what you need from your power forward. So for me, I look at that and I say, that makes me question Troy Weaver's judgment on, on some of these things. It makes me really worry about the kind of players that he values and where he values them and how much he values them. If you're willing to invest $12 million, there was talk 
very serious talk that Troy Weaver, if he had gotten the number one pick in 2020, he would have taken James Wiseman. Hmm. There was real, real, like that is something I believe to be true. And that worries me. Absolutely. That absolutely worries the hell out of me. So I think for me, no. To answer your question, I don't think if you come out of that where you say, oh, we have four guys. Oh, that's a success. No, dude, you're in, you're going into year five of a rebuild at that point, And you have four core players. That is just not acceptable, period. Not an acceptable return. You need to have more than that. Um, you, you need to show that you're, you're able to like fill out a roster that can actually compete and win, not just put guys out there and say, oh, well, you know, he had great draft pedigree, a lot of athletic upside. Let's take a shot on him. That, that doesn't work when you're trying to win games. That's fine. If you're winning 17, 23 games a year, it doesn't work if you're trying to win 45 period. And I'm sorry, it doesn't even work if you're trying to win 35 games. It just doesn't work. So you, you need to make some serious strides. And that's why I'm saying there needs to be multiple free agents, trade guys brought in, and a draft pick, and the development. There needs to be some real quality roster overhaul. You know, if you spend money on Cam Johnson, you trade for Tobias Harris, you still are going to have money left over. So who do you spend that like $10, $12 million on? That's crucial for me as well. Yeah, and it's definitely, I mean, I'll I'll take the hit on the Wiseman thing in terms of I thought that he was like a perfect fit for the Warriors. I really did. I thought that was gonna work. And I knew I know that everyone was like, well, the timeline is too far apart, blah, blah, blah. I just felt like the, the little bit that we had seen, just that injection, I was like, man, this could be good. Ugh, totally. As a counterbalance totally. to Draymond, like a guy who can run the floor and score. I get the idea. I yeah. I did not like James Wiseman. I, I had said I wouldn't take him with a top five pick. Um, looking back on it, I was probably being a little too conservative by no, saying he, that. Yeah, I mean, he's, crazy to say. He's not like, even in the league, basically. I mean, he's going to be that. That trade well, I thought was bizarre. I understand not wanting to pay Sadiq Bay. Like, I, I get that, but I thought that trading him for Wiseman was a super weird. Like, I, I don't really understand es that, especially when you have Stewart Bagley and Duran all on the roster. And wouldn't I mean? I mean. I, I know that I wouldn't, I mean, Sadiq, Sadiq Bay would fit in better what's going on here. I know that Bay kind of pissed off Pistons fans by the end. And it was just like, I feel like at that point, it was just like. It wasn't working. It wasn't working. He wasn't going to get paid what he wanted to get paid. Like, I don't know what he's going to get paid, but like the role he wanted. And it, it is what it is. Like, it is what it is. And it's hard to blame him for wanting to take more responsibility. Cause you look at the rest of the roster and you say, who, who are your other wings? Like, why are you not giving me some playmaking responsibilities? Why am I not being allowed to to do more with the ball in my hands? I can't really blame him for looking at it that way. I honestly cannot. But the yeah. fact of the matter is, I just don't think he's that kind of player. And I think so, he thinks he's Mikhail Bridges, and it's like you're not. I can understand well, I can't why you play might. defense. Yeah, it's like I think he's one of the worst defenders in the league. Yeah, and so it's just it's like you're not who we think you are, and I it, it's a weird. I, I don't know that, you know, it just goes, it just goes that way. Sometimes he also um, regressed. Yeah. In my opinion, he was an okay defender his first, his rookie year. And again, like I said, like, dude, you looked at that Hawks playing game. I'm like, he was getting hunted every single possession when he was on the floor defensively. I, I have no issue with trading away Sadiq Bay. I'm sorry to say, but like, I had no issue with it. 
even Max for Matters? even for Wiseman, like you don't. No, I would have rather had the five five picks. The, there you go. Yeah, I mean, I would have taken that, the seconds. Yeah, that's the thing that I don't. I, I that that one blows my mind. But and what, and what, what that and I do want to say that is it's not like the Pistons just have they have thirty one in this year's draft, and that's an important pick as well. I think true. a lot of people are kind of forgetting about that, like. That or those early second round picks at this point, with the amount of depth you get in these drafts, they're basically late first rounders. Yep. And the the Pistons are going to have their pick of it's going to be the same thing as it is for the fifth pick. They're going to have four or five guys around there who are going to be available available who you're going to be looking at and you're going, oh shit, this is a tough decision. You know, there, there's there's going to be really good players available at thirty one. Just that's just the fact of the matter. This does seem like it's a pretty good draft. I mean, I I hate to, I I I'm very this I, I the whole Brandon Miller thing. I don't even want to. It's like a whole, I you know, it's just such a. I don't even want to go into it. I do think, I do think at the very least, if I was a team, I would be concerned about his judgment. I mean, I I would have to do all kinds of research to, you know, I I don't know, but it does seem I I worry about Wembenyama a little bit. Like I mean, we've never seen a dude yeah. of this like frame ever basically maybe kareem but kareem wasn't like light like this i don't know i just I, guys not, his size don't stay healthy yeah and, and, and i'm not trying to i'm not trying to wish anything on him no, i hate to be no it's just when i see like this stuff i'm like man this could be one of those drafts that's like an, a greg odin kevin durant thing or it could just be like the 2000 draft where it was just like man we thought this was going to be good and i, I don't know or it may be one of the best drafts of all time. Who the hell knows? I don't know. I, I don't know if it's going to be that kind of draft, but I think it's a really deep draft. It's it's one of those drafts where, like, you kind of hate to be picking, like, between, like, 8 and 16 because there's not really much to convince you that those guys are such better prospects than the guys that are available to you at, like, 25. Fact of the matter. Like, so for me, I look at it, it's a good it's a good draft to be picking a little bit later on for sure. Take multiple shots those. sort of things. Like If you have a couple picks in the mid-20s, I think you're feeling real, real happy with where you're at in this draft, for sure. Because there's you're going to be good players. I think, I think really, there's I think there's probably going to be as many good players taken in, like, the late lottery, early 20s, as there are in the top 10, honestly. Mm-hmm. There, there's going to be some good players there. I think it's a really deep draft. I don't know if the top-end talent, like, really, I look at it as, like, Victor then Scoot, and then a whole bunch of guys who are kind of in that, like, 3 to 10 range that there's not that much separating them, to, to be honest. There's not that much that separates Brandon Miller, for me, from, like, the other guys that the Pistons are going to have available to them at 5. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, it, it did seem like uh, like his stock started. To, I mean, I've seen now people putting him number 2 overall, like, over Scoot. Like, I'm seeing, I'm okay. seeing that stuff, so that I'm – I'm surprised, but I, you know, I mean, I've the guy it. is like, he's not a great, he's not a like tremendous athlete by any means. Uh, like, I, he's just not a great athlete. He doesn't, I'm not sold on his finishing abilities at all. I, I don't know. I, I think he could be a really good player. I totally could be wrong, but I'm just, he's not so special of a prospect to me that he's like the no doubt number two, number three. It's it's yeah it's it's re- it's been interesting to me to see how much he has risen. I was surprised, especially because I mean in the tournament he wasn't that great. I mean, but leading up to the tournament he was pretty awesome. But you know he had a couple of forty pointers. But then he had that game where he scored like nothing. But what are you gonna do? Um, 
So it's one game, you know, you, it, you, like what you're saying, Grimanti. It's one game, it's and fair. it's it's college. But, but it's it's surprising to me just how reactionary the people in the NBA are. It surprises me when they see that one game and doesn't affect how they, you know, because sometimes yeah. that one game can kill you like that. Yeah. You know. So well, that, it did. That's why they lost. Well, yeah, true. Um, so <laughs> I suppose it's possible. Like we we talk. I, one thing I suppose we mentioned uh, Monty having front office power, or whatever. If Trey Weaver doesn't nail all this, I guess Monty would probably have some say in who the new GM would theoretically be. So that would be something that would be interesting. So, I mean, like you said, this is a pretty, this is a high stakes year. Like what, whatever, yeah. all these moves that are made, whatever follows, like these are like, you can't turn in another 23 win season. I feel like, you know, I, I don't think that there's another, uh, I think that's what it starts to get you know fans start to revolt you know in in my opinion there has to be an expectation of something close to 30 wins mm. and that's a big leap you yeah. win 30 games that's 13 more than last year like that's <laughs> that's what a 40 percent increase in your wins like that yeah. is a lot that's a big jump um in order for them to make the play and they'd probably have to finish around that 37 38 39 range then we're talking a 20 win increase that to me seems that that's it's a tall task for any nba team it happens we've seen it happen money did it with the suns he 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 did it with the suns he won like 20 more games in his first year and that was the covid shortened year and he still he still got it the Cavs did it a few years ago i i believe actually i mean the kings are not a really that comparable but the kings i think won like 15, 16 more games this year. And that's coming from just a couple smart signings, a little bit of internal improvement, good stability in your front office, in your coaching staff, and then bringing in a couple guys in trades, all that stuff. Like those are things that the Pistons absolutely can do. There has to be an expectation of approaching 30 wins. I think that has to be the minimum expectation for this team. You are, you didn't have Kate Cunningham last year. Like that's, that is your best player and you didn't have him. And yeah, they're they're just there's too much cap space. There's another draft pick. There's got to be improvement this year. Um, as for Troy Weaver, I think he's kind of safe no matter what happens this season. Hmm. Next year, though, is going to be the one. Hmm. Like, there's I don't think there's any question. If the Pistons aren't making the playoffs next year, there's there's just there's no way Troy Weaver can keep his job, especially with a guy like Tom Gorris, who has stated repeatedly. He wants to win basketball games, wants to win playoff games. He does not want to tank. He did not ever want to tank. It took SVG's whole thing completely falling apart around him for him to go, okay, I'm going to do it. I don't want to, but I will. And that's why Troy Waver's here. But at a certain point, the tanking has to become winning. So that's where the Pistons are at, in my opinion. Yeah. And I'm I'm a big cave guy. Like, I... If you redid that draft today, I would still take Kate. Like I know that everybody loves Evan Mobley and and Scotty Barnes, but I, I I would still take Kate. I'm a I'm a big time Kate guy because I love whenever you have a dude who is like six 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 seven who can handle the ball, who can shoot, who can do a little bit of everything. I love that, and I understand that he's not necessarily the fastest dude, whatever. But I just I love dudes with size in this league in this era. I think that you've got to be big in the playoffs. Yeah, and I think that when you have a backcourt that, like you said, you've got two dudes who are, you know, six, five and six, seven, you know, suddenly that, you know, that really starts to, to make things happen. And I think that that's some of the calculus with the Suns 
in this Chris Paul thing is, I, I will say the one time that we were playing well against Denver was in game two when Chris Paul was not hurt. We had a six point lead. Things were going well. Chris Paul gets hurt. It all falls apart. So I do feel like maybe this statement is a little flawed, but I do feel that some of the calculus, especially on defense is, you know, Devin Booker is big enough, but Chris Paul is not. And when you don't have a particularly large team, because, you know, DeAndre Ayton is big, the rest of the Suns, not so much. You can't have like miniature players on top of that. And I think a lot of the calculus has just been that the Suns are too small for the playoffs. I mean, I think that's what, I think Denver just outsized them. Like, honestly, I mean, the shooting was incredible, but a lot of that has to do with you've got 6'10 dudes shooting over 6'5". It just... Denver yeah, is fucking no, huge. And it they're, just, they're big and they're skilled and like they're deep, man. They're freaking they're deep. They're not going anywhere. That's the other thing that kills me about this is this is not ending anytime soon. That team is locked in. They are, they're not going anywhere. And I mean, maybe KCP's contract, I don't know what that, you know, situation will end up as, but I just mean like, you know, Jokic and Murray and Michael Porter Jr. and Aaron Gordon, those dudes are literally all signed to long-term extensions. And, you know, but, you know that, we know what they can do. I, I'm scared of that team long term. But to what I was saying earlier, even though I think it comes down to like that is what it, it's their depth. Like the fact of the matter is they had players that could fit into any situation that could counter punch anything that the Suns threw at them. Yep. You know, Who's you go, friends? okay, yeah, you're throwing, okay, you're throwing Devin Booker and Chris and, and, and KD at us. That's great. Who are the other three guys on the floor? It was because all yeah. five of our guys can run our system, can fit within it, and give us what we need on both ends of the floor. That's, like I said, that's my number one thing for Troy Weaver. The stars are great. You need your stars, obviously. The Nuggets aren't going anywhere without Nikola Jokic and Jamal Murray on that team. We all know that. But the ceiling gets raised. You become that championship-caliber team. And God knows, if any fan base should know it, it should be the Pistons, because that is a team that has built three title teams off of the back of incredible depth. Yes. You you know, people want to talk about the bad boys, the physicality, all that. Dude, they had one of the deepest rosters in the history of the NBA. So true. They were incredible. Dennis Dennis Rodman came off their bench. Like, and so the, they were the, the O2 Pistons too. Like that team was, was incredibly deep. Like, and the Lakers, were ex- incredibly top heavy Dude, and just had, could not handle it. They had the number two pick. The Darko Milicic, his his nickname was the Human Victory Cigar. He's the number one two pick, and he didn't play at all ever. Do you ever one just because think he about, stank? Do you ever just think about if they like took Mellow? Like, does that like hurt you at night, or do? You, or not even Mellow? Like D Wade, or you just you don't even care about that one. It was no, I got the you were title. too young. Dude, not even that. We we got the title. They should have won it again the next year. True. Six six straight Eastern Conference. I like again. Like that's what hurts me. Big Robert Ory. That mm. that shot. That I, I, I share I share Robert Ory pain with you, sir. Yeah. Well, this a is a very this is a very anti Robert Ory podcast. Yeah, you, yeah. This is this is yeah. I have hated I hated that dude when he was on the goddamn Suns. I, he he didn't want to be here. It was very clear. It was awful. This, yeah, you. This is big, a safe space for hating Robert Ory. Big, make me want to shoot myself, Bob. Yeah, <laughs> I'm, sure a, I'm sure he's a very good person. I purely hate him as a basketball. Player. I don't know. I, maybe I don't he's know. not. Maybe I he's an care. asshole. I don't know. I'm yeah, just saying. I, I'm not he's talking a piece about of his crap. <laughs> <laughs> <Talk to him. laughs>
Uh, yeah, exactly. There we go. I, there I, it I, is. I'm trying to be diplomatic, but I don't know. But that's, you. no, that's what hurts me. The mellow thing, whatever. It was what it was. They should have won two titles. They went to six straight Eastern Conference Finals. I, I You know, you can't. It is an interesting pivot point in history, stuff. though. Oh, for sure. I mean, I, dude, I'm, I don't, like, people are like, do you still think about the, you know, 2021? I'm just like, no. Like, I don't sit here and dwell. It sucks. We lost. Like, what are you going to do? It's just, it is an interesting pivot point in history because, because the Pistons were so good for so long after that, if they had just made that draft pick better, like there's, you know, a possible dynasty there. But yeah, again, could have worked out for a billion. Possibly years. you don't trade Chauncey. I mean, yeah. who knows? And we Suns, saw what Chauncey and Melo did in the West. So yeah, by the same token, if the Suns took Giannis instead of Alex Len, blah, 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 blah. So, yeah, well, <laughs> the Pistons did too. There's a lot, there's 15 teams that could be saying that to themselves right now. So I, I do want to give myself credit. I so badly did want the Suns to draft Giannis. I was on really? the honest. Yes, I was on the honest thing. I was. I'm going to give myself. I thought I I didn't want him to take him at five, but I was like, yeah. you need to like trade up to 15 and get this Giannis dude. But uh, what are you going to do? Um, any other thoughts on the Pistons before we wind down here? Do you have any like general thoughts or in NBA hot takes? Any, just anything else you want to fire aside from fuck Robert Ory, of course, you can say it again. Oh, course, there you go. That's not a hot take. That's <laughs> just, that's just, facts. that's just facts. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Uh, you know, hot take wise, I think it's fucking hilarious that Nikola Jokic is going to win the title the year that he doesn't win MVP because he hasn't <laughs> won a title yet. I just, you know, it's just, uh, to me, I just, I do love that. Yeah, it's one of those dumbass things where it's it's just, oh, I'd love to stick it to the narrative, guys. I really do love it to stick it to the narrative, guys, sometimes. Um, no, nah, no hot takes. You know, I'm not a hot take artist these days. My hot takes are are way behind me. Nine straight years of smoking weed every day will do that, too, yeah, I guess. I don't know. Mellowed me out a little bit. Um, I don't know. I still find a way. <laughs> uh, fair enough. I, for me, you know... Uh, I just think like I love basketball and I'm just excited to see where the Pistons go. Um, I think they have an opportunity to really improve this offseason, like a real opportunity in front of them. It's going to matter how they take advantage of it. But like even with the limited resources, even, you know, it's not a great free agency class. The fifth pick is not the ideal pick. They still are going to have everything at their disposal in order to make a really good roster here. So for me, there's no excuses. Uh, you want a hot take? Um, I do think that they signed Cam Johnson. Mm-hmm. I do. I think love that fit. I think that's such a great idea. It that's, makes too much sense. The really money's does. there. Um, I, you know, I think for Brooklyn, they need to invest in Mikhail Bridges a little bit more heavily. And yeah, as they should. Mikhail and Cam Bridges needs to get paid awesome. because he's 28. And this, like, for Cam Johnson, he was so old when he came into the league. This is basically like his third contract. Yeah. And, and it is his second. So he needs to get paid this time. So whoever yeah. pays the money, he will go there. I do. And the Pistons that. and the Pistons are in a perfect position to do that. I think if you do that, you make that something like a Bogdanovich and Bagley or, you know, I don't know. I don't know. But something like Bogdanovich for Harris in some way or another. I think you make that trade. Uh, you bring in Cam Johnson. You bring in the fifth pick. You know, you bring in somebody else in free agency as well. I don't have the the list in front of me, but sure. like, you know, take somebody at 31 as well. I think you could be looking at a very deep roster next year. And when you bring back Cade Cunningham, like, yeah, I think there's no excuses. No excuses for the front office, at least. For the coaching staff, sure, you can say it's your first year. But for the front office, for me, it's kind of, we're getting to put up our shut up time. I think Troy Weaver has another year, but if I was the owner, 
this is the one, Troy. You you've said it's the one. It's gonna be the one. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I I do think Monty is the dude who can do it though. But I will say, you're gonna have fun with the rotations because from game to game, they might be anything. And the thing is, is that that's really frustrating come the playoffs. But it's been that yeah. way. I do think. But you know what? You're talking about a team in Dwayne Casey, who's the opposite of that. I think Pistons fans will be more than happy to see a guy who's willing to make adjustments. Point. I mean. I mean, Jesus Christ, man. I, there's times where you're just like, Corey, why is Corey Joseph playing 26 minutes this game? <laughs> the, what is going on? Like, and the guy, it's not even just like the way that he's, it's like, this guy's got to come in at this time, and this guy's got to come in at this time, and there's no adjustments. Yeah. Monty, from game to game, he's he's like uh, Bob Melvin, you know, the manager who just yeah. like constantly changes his lineups. Like, Monty, I, I do think, like, I do think the Suns, if they had had this roster, and had a training camp, I think they would have been much better and had much more of a chance to do something. I don't know what that would have been, but like, I do think that having to do every, I, I like, I think it was unfair to hang that on him when like he, you got, you, you traded for KD, you had him for eight games, you built this roster on the, like, what are you supposed to do? Like, yes. How is I, that not going to, it's going to change your entire team, the way they play the game. But, and you only got eight games for them to, yeah, to I mesh will, up together. I will tell you the one reason that I am okay with him being fired that drove me. He did not one time, I swear to God, there was not one Booker Durant pick and roll, not one. And I do not fucking understand what world we're living in where you don't at least try. You don't even give that like a, a, a run through to just get, just throw things off a little bit. Katie's standing in the corner all the time. And I understand it's hard to integrate the pick and roll is the most commonly run play in the history of basketball. These are two of the smartest dudes in the league. I think they can probably figure out how to run this play. And I just think that I, I do think there was a little bit of like, they just stopped listening. I think that there was two now. I do think that Monty's voice, is, I don't know why, but it just like the pick and rolls in the finals. It's this crafty back and forth cutting. And here now again, new team, totally reshaped, hard to do all that, but that yeah. doesn't change like, hey, just get behind him quick. My 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 guess is that he wanted to keep one of them as a shooter open on the perimeter. And that's and, fine. And he goes, hey, look, KD's going to collapse the defense. I'll have Booker open. I get that. But I also get what you're saying. Yeah. And you I also try. think- You yeah, got to try yes. one thing. Like Especially, yeah. especially like game four onwards when it became very clear how the series- Everything they were doing wasn't working. Having KD stand around wasn't working. So try one thing. And I, I, yeah. again, I I'm not saying it's- you know the height of the LeBron Wade pick and roll or whatever, but I'm just saying it would have been pretty deadly to get some damn shots. KD is a is 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 a smart player. Booker's a smart player that could figure it out. That's the stuff that drives me a little crazy with Monty. Is sometimes I think that he doesn't get creative enough, and sometimes I think his rotations are not good enough. But you know, here again, I'm sure he's learned from these things. And Stephen Silas being there is really going to provide a boost of offensive creativity. I think it's and- going to be a fun season. And that's what they need. And like, shoot, what NBA franchise, like what fan base doesn't have an issue with the way that their coach runs their lineups? Like really not wrong. Right. It's, it's so commonplace. It's just, you know, how are they doing it? And I think really the most, the key thing is tuning out. And I think having that new voice in the locker room and Monty Williams will be really good for the Pistons. Um, I don't think this is a team that's going to, you know, tune them out halfway through the season. I think these are, they're, they're, they got good 
I'll give that for Troy Weaver. I think that he is a good done a good job of drafting like you know got good guys with heads on their shoulders. Smart, geez, guys with good heads on their shoulders, responsible players who are willing to take accountability and and buy in what they're doing on the floor. And having a guy like Kate Cunningham there, who I think is an extension of that, only does it even more so. So I'm not so worried about that. Um, and Monty is an incredible leader. So yeah, like that Monty is a guy that you'll you know run through the fire for. And, and, and look, they works. still they still have Dwayne Casey in the organization. It's not like he's gone forever. So that's another guy who can provide leadership as well. I think they'll be fine in that department. Like you said, it really comes down to like. Are the players listening to what the coach is? Do they buy in? It's really that simple. I, anybody, even whatever job you work, doesn't have to be the NBA. If you and your coworkers go, fuck my boss, fuck this job, I hate this shit here, I want to go somewhere else, even if it's in the same industry, that makes a difference. And like your whole, I, I work in restaurants, man. It's the same thing. You're a team. Like, you have to all get along together. Sometimes you don't get along with everybody, but if you have the right people in charge, you can make it work. And that, I think, is is really what coaching comes down to, and I'm very hopeful uh, that Monty Williams can provide that for the So This is going to be fun to watch, man. Where do we find Palace of Pistons? You can find Palace of Pistons on our website, palaceofpistons.com. Also, feel free to check out our podcast, of which I am one of the co-hosts, uh, Palace of Pistons. Um, you can find us on Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts, uh, part of the Believe Network. Uh, also find us on YouTube as well. Give us those sweet, sweet count, view counts, baby. We love them. Um, we have written articles coming out. Uh, right now, we are doing some reviews of the season, a little bit of um, draft uh, previews as well. Um, we have one up on Eamon Thompson, another one coming up on Jarris Walker that I wrote, probably coming out tomorrow, perhaps the next day. So keep an eye out for those. Give us a follow on social media. Um, yeah, we always appreciate the, the support. We appreciate the views. We appreciate all the comments as well. Uh, that's one of the great things about having a podcast, you know, about being on Twitter, whatever it might be. You get to build that community, even if it's not among your own fan base, you know, just among the general NBA community. That's how we got to know each other. And so, you know, that's why I'm on here chopping it up. Yeah, that's all the fun my, of it. All my favorite NBA Twitter people are business fans. <laughs> there you it's, go. It's, it's one of those things. Like, must be nice. It must be nice. Not all of mine. <laughs> <laughs> I, I have a higher favorability opinion of business. That's right, that's right. Thank you so much, man. I really appreciate you coming on. Pleasure. It was all mine as always. I hope that we can do this again uh, in the future. Yeah, we'll talk soon. This season, not two years from now. Absolutely. Sounds good. (laughs) All right, thanks, man. And that is the Blunt Doctor Show. Thank you so much to Jasper Apollonia for coming on. Check out the Palace of Pistons podcast. Love those around you. Keep it real with those around you. Show respect to those you know. This world is at a real turning point and we have a chance to for once do something for the better. So let's take that opportunity. Let's apply that pressure. 